Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is the 29th of September. It's the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, I really encourage you to go and listen to it later today at MyFaithRadio.com where Paul Perot will very dutifully post it as uh, as a re-air or a podcast of this program. So um, what do you expect as a Christian? What do you expect in terms of uh, the way the culture affirms or goes along with or celebrates what you believe. So we have in the United States of America long lived with the expectation that the culture pretty much, you know, goes the way we go because Christians dominated uh, the conversation at every level of cultural influence. But we all know that that is no longer the case. Like we all know, we, I mean, we've been talking about it now for generations that there has been a movement over time away from uh, a, a cultural influence by Christians in the direction of Christian moral thinking and life together. And laws have followed the way in which the majority of Americans now think about things, which is not through the mind of Christ. Now, that's not to say that the majority of Americans still don't check off the box that they believe in God. And if, you know, the forced choice is placed upon them, um, they won't still check off the box of Christian. But checking the Christian box off from a list of options um, does not make one a Christian. And so when we talk about the increasing requirements by the government or corporations or institutions um, mandating things that uh, we are not comfortable as Christians doing, things with which we do not feel led to comply. Um, Let's just say, you know, you wanted to watch a game in the Rose Bowl, but your Christian conscience is preventing you from being vaccinated. Well, then you can't go to the Rose Bowl. Like, that's not going to be an option. Um, some concerts, that's going to be true. Eating in some restaurants, traveling by particular means, working for particular companies or for schools or school systems or the government or, frankly, the U.S. military. These are going to be places and spaces where increasingly people of convictional conscience um, are not going to be employed, not going to be going. Things they're not going to be doing. Okay, we expected this. Like, what part of this is a surprise? If you've read the Bible, which I know you have, um, then you know that you knew this was coming. I mean, we didn't know that it was coming in this way at this time through this particular um, challenge that we face in in our nation, but we all knew it was coming. Like, right? We've we've read with clear-eyed expectation that the world is going to hate Christians because the world hates Christ. Um, If Christians were like the world, then 
um, there'd be no opposition to us and no opposition to our in- full inclusion in things. But we don't belong to the world, which is why the world engages in what the Bible calls persecution. And there's sometimes that I resist using that term here in the United States because, you know, frankly, we don't experience persecution at the same level or in the same ways as our brothers and sisters, as we have just discussed in Iraq or Afghanistan. But Christians are um, nonetheless increasingly sidelined, um, prohibited from participation, um, on and on and on, even here in the United States. And so I just, I, I want us to recognize that, and I want us to be um, sober-minded about what's happening, and also recognize that the Bible very, very clearly, God very, very clearly told us to expect it, like to expect it. And so um, when we resist it, let's be mindful of what we're resisting. And let's also, uh, in our own lives, recognize the value um, that persecution brings to the faithful Christian, right? So uh, we can talk more about this in the days and weeks and months to come. um, But Let's just all today recognize that we should expect it. Like it, it's a it's an expectation of the faithful. All right, Dave Haytag is back today. We have talked with Dave about his book, Good Work. You will remember Dave as the guy that runs Edgerton Gear in Wisconsin. We've invited him back because we want to talk about craftsmen with character. Um, and I just I just can't wait. I'm totally excited about this conversation and this guy and our fellowship in the spirit. So we'll be right back. Dave Haytag is back. If you did not hear my first conversation with Dave on his book, Good Work, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Dave, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, good morning. Great to be here again. Thank you. I am so excited about Craftsman with Character. So the website is craftsmanwithcharacter.org. What is Craftsman with Character? I'm excited about it, too, so thanks for asking. Um, Craftsman with Character is a course that we developed. As you know, I own a gear shop, a 40-man gear shop, and we make gears for things all over the world. But I reached a crisis in 2010, like a lot of businesses have, especially in the trades and manufacturing. We don't have enough young people come into the trades to, to replace the aging demographic. Most shops, the ages are about in their 50s, mid-50s or so. So I'm looking at a crisis going, my gosh, I don't have enough young people. And my tech ed teacher in our local high school asked me to come over and say, hey, could you help us revive our, our machine shop and our welding shop? Now, I went into that shop, and the exact same machines that I ran back in the 70s were mothballed over in a corner. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? And as I was there, I had this epiphany that I'm looking around going, hold it. These kids were me. You know, these kids in the shop classes who often didn't do well in the, in the history and social studies and were often deemed not college material, um, those were me. So I, I had this idea of how do we help those kids get exposure to the world of manufacturing trades and all the different jobs out there. And we developed this course where we, we basically have the kids come into our shop, job shadow four days a week. And one day a week, I get them in a classroom 
And we basically deconstruct their worldview, help them figure out, you know, what do they believe? Why? What are their value systems? Um, what are they gifted at? And how do they fit into the world? Okay. So I just love it. I'm, um, I'm scrolling around at craftsmanwithcharacter.org, and I'm wondering to myself um, how this could be replicated in in other places and how people listening right now um, could think more creatively, maybe more broadly about meeting the needs in their own uh, in their own communities and industries. Okay, so I'm going to put a shameless plug in for your book because I don't know if your listeners realize what an awesome book you wrote back in 2017 called Speak the Truth. I was going through that again last night. And Carmen, do you remember this story? You were sitting in a coffee shop and you had a guy say, what's wrong with the world? You remember that? You oh, yeah. It? Okay. Oh, yeah. And, and what was the first question that you asked that guy? Do you remember? What are, are you, you looking okay? at? Maybe. Well, are you okay? Hmm. Because he said, what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with mm. us? And then you ask, are you okay? The kids today in our fragmented world, and that book that you wrote, I don't know if you had any idea it'd be so relevant as it is back then as it is now, but that's exactly the question that our kids are asking us today. Are we okay, right? Mm. So as, as business people and in, throughout our community, we have to look at these kids in high school that are living in this an absolutely chaotic world, and they want to know if they fit. They want to know if they have a place in the world. So as in business, we have this incredible opportunity. We have a whole staff of mentors, and I think every business does. We all have older people that work, learn life experiences. We've been beat up, wounded. Um, we've had a school of hard knocks. And those kids are looking for us for guidance and for affirmation. And so with our craftsman course, I'm looking to help replicate it in whatever community, in whatever high school, whatever charter school that we can, because we got to give these kids a pathway, not only to employment, but to identity. And that's why I'm excited about the craftsman course, because it really gives them a Christian worldview without using religious language, because um, we're, we're even welcome into the public schools to teach this, because too often character schools don't have time to teach it anymore. So we have a we have an incredible opportunity, I think, with our young people today to really imprint upon them, you know, that they matter and that they're unique and they're they're God's creation. They have a place. All right, you just heard Dave Haytag um, acknowledge that he wants to replicate this. He wants to see this replicated. And so, if you're saying to yourself, "I want to see this in high schools in my community," I really encourage you to go to craftsmanwithcharacter.org. If you scroll down, there are places that you can not only learn more, but places where you can uh, connect. There's an online course. I mean, there's just there's a lot here. It's um, it's easy to navigate, and um, I don't just want you to learn more about it. I really want you to consider about strategically replicating this in your own community. We're going to talk. We're going to continue talking with Dave Haytag in just a moment from Edgerton Gear, author of Good Work, today discussing craftsmen with character. We'll be right back. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions, so they've got to find those extra cups to fill. Continuing our conversation with Dave Haytag from Edgerton Gear, he's the author of Good Work. We have had that conversation uh, on a prior occasion. Encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast and Check out the book. Today we're talking about Craftsman with Character. You can find it at craftsmanwithcharacter.org. It is an effort to mentor high school students. Um, and so, Dave, let's talk about um, let's talk about the Craftsman Code. I liked sure. this uh, when I found it at 
uh, craftsmanwithcharacter.org. Tell me about the craftsman, the craftsman's code. So it, the course is 16 weeks long, and often these these students, you know, we we get some of the students that might be the at risk kids. They might be in an alternative program. They might be, you know, coming from broken homes and and having a lot of issues. So we're really trying to almost reprogram their their identity and and really give them a sense that they really do matter. So so. I, the joy of getting them in a classroom for 16 weeks is really, you know, trying to press upon them, you know, who God created them to be. And part of that is you got to deconstruct their worldview a little bit. So the first thing that we teach them, this is number one, I make them stand up and repeat this actually every week, but it says, I am not the center of the universe. Now, if you're a parent and you get a teenager to stand up and say that, that's like a, that's, there's nothing better, right? And then if you can get them to say, number two, I do not know everything nor nearly as much as I think I do. Um, it's just that awareness that, yeah, I'm not the center. I've got a lot to learn. I, I need to be teachable. But then we keep going down the list and we say, you know, there's dignity and purpose in knowing my trade, whatever that might be. And number four is the real impactful one, especially with these lot, a lot of these kids who just don't feel that they have any role in this or any part to play in this world at all. And it's really a powerful, simple statement that we make the students repeat. And it's basically, the world needs me. And for a student to really internalize that the world needs me, really? I mean, that's when the lights just come on. And it takes a while for them to start to believe that. And then, you know, number five is a pay as reward for my efforts, but not my main motivation. And lastly, every person has unique gifts and talents. So if we can drill that down into students, by the end of that 16 weeks, they go, you know what? I do have a place in this world. And these are a lot of the kids that have have received the message over and over that they don't matter, they don't know where they fit in. And so we just see it really as a transformative experience for them. So Dave, I want to address something with you that um, my guess is is going to irritate some people listening right now, but it's true and therefore we should say it. Um, okay. <laughs> we have as a culture, we have as a culture bought into the idea that every kid is supposed to go to a traditional four-year college, that every kid is supposed to do that, that that's the way um, that you sort of prove that you've, um, that you've raised your kid right, right, is that they, you know, they graduate from high school and they go on to a four-year school um, and, and then they do what? We're not so sure, but help us recognize the value of of trades. And yeah. that is a really now broad term. Um, you yeah. work in one that would be a traditional trade, but there are yep. trades now that don't require a four-year college education. Um, you know, like, I don't know, those people that are like technicians on those giant windmills, like that's yeah. not a four-year degree, but that's a really good job. You know, I don't know. And this happens in the church too, right, Carmen, where we, we love hierarchies. We're like, if you're really serious about serving God, you're going to be what a, a, a pastor or a missionary. And we send this, we carry that same paradigm into our homes where some jobs are more important than others. Some jobs are more valuable than others. But if we go back to the creation mandate all the way back in Genesis, the, you know, God calls us to create a civilization. Every single job is desperately needed and important. I, you know, one of the positive things of COVID is that we're all asking the question, what's essential? Well, you know what? When when uh, everything starts shut down as machinists, we're going, well, we're essential. You know, who's going to make the toilet paper? <laughs> who's going to mm-hmm. drive the trucks? Who's going to help with the medical supplies? Who's going to deliver the food and grow the food? Uh, all those jobs. 
And so I think in our culture, we have to get rid of this mentality that white collar jobs or college degrees are more important because the sad reality is that that the educational system is broke. We get kids to graduate four year colleges with massive amounts of debt. And yet within the trades, you can get an apprenticeship. You can be making money right away. You can get on with your life and do something really meaningful and purposeful and not be saddled with all that debt at the same time. So I, I absolutely love the trades because I see so many, so many young people that they, they're, they're meant to work with their hands. That's how they express themselves. That's how their godness, that God spark comes out. And that's how they express their creativity and who they are. And we really need to affirm those people because the trades, manufacturing, all those different jobs have been way overlooked and taken for granted for way too long. Oh, there are people cheering right now. I can hear them. I mean, I know we can't hear them, hear them, but I can hear them um, because we have a lot of truck drivers listening to the program. We have a lot of people who work in um, in manufacturing. We have uh, folks who work in construction. Um, well, praise God on and on and on. One of them. Yeah. Praise yeah, God for we, one of them. Yeah. We also we also have people listening right now who are saying, "What might this look like at the?" Um, at the level of a Christian college or university, what might it look like for an existing institution to develop um, some kind of track that is is short, is apprentice uh, designed, um, but where uh, the guys who are in your program, um, yep. you know, could get a couple of years of Christian college education in addition to getting what they're getting um apprenticing yeah. through through what you're doing. So I just think that there are people with a heart for this and a vision for this, yep. um, not only at high schools across the country, but potentially at Christian colleges and universities as well. Becky, uh, Becky, who's listening, says, I'm cheering. So there you go. Becky, we hear you. We see you. Thank you for texting that in. Um, Dave, um, invite people again to to mentor someone who's younger. Because this is life-on-life discipleship. I mean, what you're talking about is sort of the discipleship model in the Bible anyway, and the part that you're adding is the vocational component. So Jesus' last words that we all quote out of Matthew, go forth and what? Make disciples. As a tradesman, I I interpret that. He's saying, go out and make apprentices, right? Mm -hmm. And every one of us has life experiences that we can share and pass on to our young people. And, and even in our shop, I got I got older guys like, well, I don't have anything to offer to young people. Yes, you do. You have an entire life of experience, good stuff, bad stuff, mistakes you've made. When we hook up our young people with some of our older mentors, some of them, some of the mentors say, I don't have anything to offer. They're often the kid's favorite person because they're broken and they're making mistakes and they see themselves and these older guys and older guys see themselves in the kids. And as we get older, I'm 58. One of the biggest gifts and things that I, I want to do in my life is to have a legacy of, of passing my my experience and on to somebody else. So, and, and I, I think, our, as I said earlier, our young people are crying out for somebody to take an interest in them and be their friend and, and really give them some guidance. In my lifetime, I've never seen our culture so chaotic. And again, I think these kids are crying out, asking, am I okay? And it's our job as older people to say, yeah, you, you're, you're unique. God created you to have a special place in this world, and let me help you get there. Amen. That's Dave Haytag. You can connect with him on all the socials. You can also find him at Edgerton Gear. His book is Good Work. Uh, The website we really want to encourage you to check out today to learn more about this topic is craftsmanwithcharacter.org. Dave, thank you as always. Bless you, man. Carmen, thank you so much. Bless you too. Thanks. We'll be right back. 
All right, next up, we're going to look with George Barna at some of the realities of Christians in the culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven, God says, I am the Lord, the God of every person on earth. Nothing is impossible for me. This is Max Lucado. We need to hear that God is still in control. We need to hear that it's not over until he says so. We need to hear that life's mishaps and tragedies are not a reason to bail out. Corey Ten Boom used to say, when the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. The way to deal with discouragement? The cure for disappointment? Go back and read the story of God. Read it again and again. Be reminded that you aren't the first person to weep. You aren't the first person to be helped. Read the story and remember the story is yours. You the cream in my coffee. George Barna is back with another report from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. George, welcome back. Well, thanks, Carmen. Love being with you. Oh. Appreciate you having me back. Oh, man, I, this is always interesting content, and uh, I think it's helping us learn how to understand the culture in which we live and engage it as meaningful Christians today, which let's just jump in with that very term, what does it mean today when people in the culture say they are Christian? You know, it, it depends how people actually describe themselves. There are a lot of people who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. In fact, almost seven out of 10 adults in America would use that depiction to talk about their spiritual life. But then there are a lot of people who would also say, well, you know, I'm also a born-again Christian, or I'm an evangelical Christian. And those mean different things we discovered. And then there's a whole other group of people who will not use either of those terms to describe themselves, and yet theologically they qualify as, as what appears to be a born-again Christian. And then there's a whole other group which doesn't really care that much about labels. They care more about their life, about how it is that they're playing out the truths of Scripture, a group we call integrated disciples. They wouldn't have any idea what that term is, but that's the group that actually has a biblical worldview. And so they come at things very differently. If you were to look at these kind of descriptions on a continuum, you would go from the heavy end of the continuum, where 69% identify themselves as Christian, all the way down to the light end of the continuum, where you've got only the 6% who actually have a biblical worldview, the people who are demonstrably Christian. And so somewhere between that 6 and 69% is the reality. Yeah, so I need a word for us, the the group that I understand to be Christian, right? That's the, that's the challenge in all of this, uh, because I use the term Christian to describe myself. I know what I mean when I use that term, but that term is understood very, very differently um, depending on your social location and your exposure to the church or your biases or um, your misunderstandings related to the Christian faith. Or, you know, the people who come by, they come by the term Christian very honestly, but they were raised in extremely liberal, let's say, mainline Protestantism. And when they use the term Christian, they mean something very different than what I mean when I use the term. 
Well, it, it's true, you know, and, and when you talk about that, I mean, if we were to look at this group that we call or, or they call themselves Christian, you know, the self-identified Christian adults, it, it's the largest of these segments, and theologically speaking, it's the most inclusive. It embraces a lot of things that aren't in Scripture, and yet they consider that to be Christian. And so when we look at this group, you know, you can look at each of these different segments and come up with a kind of description or their spiritual narrative, if you would. And if we look at the self-identified Christian adults, it's a combination of biblical and unbiblical. And so their narrative would say, yeah, God is real. He's powerful. He's caring. Uh, We ought to be worshiping him. He's worthy of our consideration. And one of the great things about that God, they would say, is that he's open-minded, he's tolerant, he understands that, that, you know, life is tough, and so he gives us a lot of leeway. Sin doesn't particularly perturb him because he made us. He knows that we have that tendency. And so when we go about making our moral choices, he understands that, you know, our first line of defense is going to be to go figure out, you know, what kind of effect is this going to have on other people, and what would other people tell me to do? That's where I ought to be getting my guidance. All of that is important because God's primary concern or consideration for our lives is he wants us to be happy. And so Mm. anything that makes us happy, he's going to bless those efforts. Okay. And for people operating out of a biblical worldview, we are going to say to that, that is absolutely inconsistent with the narrative of Scripture. Um, and what God has revealed not only about himself, but about us um, and about his unfolding redemptive will for all things, including us. So walk us from um, what you just described, which is, you know, the the narrative of those who would self-identify as Christians broadly in the culture, but who do not possess a biblical worldview. And then walk us through some of these other categories. So what would the narrative of the self-identified born-again Christian be? All right, so these are—and and by the way, to me, this is important because pollsters in political campaigns and, uh, you know, news media, when they're trying to categorize people spiritually, they will do this. They'll ask you, do you consider yourself to be a born-again Christian? And so, you know, that number drops in the culture from 69% who would self-identify as Christian, the more generic term, to 35% who would say that they're born-again Christian. And yet, this too has a wide range of theological beliefs attached to it. So this is a group of people that even though, you know, they they have a good understanding of who God is, they're trusting Jesus Christ for their salvation, uh, they're not necessarily living it out in a way that anybody could see. And that's proven by a lot of their beliefs, because you do what you believe. So your beliefs precede what you wind up doing in action. And what we know is that those people who self-identify as born again are people who would say, for instance, you know, it's just important that a person has some kind of faith. It doesn't matter what faith it is. Uh, You know, more than three quarters of of these self-identified born agains would say that. We know that uh, a large majority of these people would say, if you're going to make moral choices, you have to rely on your feelings or maybe input from friends and family to guide that. We know that two out of three of these people who claim to be born again also say there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. There's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. All religious faiths are of equal value. And you've even got six out of 10 of these people 
who say that they're relying on Jesus Christ for their salvation, six out of 10 of them at the same time saying, but if you're a good enough person or you do enough good things for other people, you can earn your way into eternal salvation. So, you know, here again is that elastic understanding of God and what he's willing to put up with. And at the same time, the rejection of his word and his principles and the, the boundaries that he's given to us to succeed in life, to really thrive. They say, yeah, great suggestions. Sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. Because again, here's a group of people that says, well, you know, God wants me to be happy. That, that whole happiness factor drives so many people and they confuse sometimes the pursuit of happiness with the pursuit of God. Mm. All right. Do you confuse the pursuit of the glory of God and his righteousness with the pursuit of happiness? This is an ongoing conversation in the culture. We are having it today with George Barna looking at the latest release from the American Worldview Inventory 2021. What does it mean when people say they are Christian? More next on Mornings with Carmen. I will bring you your good morning. Coffee will you smile. Continuing our conversation now with Dr. George Barna, Director of Research for the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. We're talking about the latest release from the American Worldview Inventory 2021. Um, George, we have arrived in our conversation at a subset of, uh, of the American population who, let's say, initially identifies as Christian, but then would also say yes when asked, are you an evangelical Christian? What does that mean in the culture today? You know, in most people's minds, there's not a big difference between calling yourself born again and calling yourself evangelical. There may be some differences in terms of what church the person attends, because there are some churches that are very vocal about the fact that they are evangelical. Some churches aren't so vocal. And of course, a lot of churches are not evangelical. And by the way, asterisk, Many churches who call themselves evangelical no longer are based on the theology that they teach. But that's, that's a whole separate discussion we can have sometime. When we, when we look at this group that call themselves evangelical Christians, uh, you know, what we find is that seven out of ten of them fit both of those categories, but they, they aren't quite interchangeable. With this particular group, uh, you know, they're, they're a bit more likely to believe that the scriptures are an important guide for life. They don't necessarily believe that the scriptures contain absolute moral truth, but they're more likely to say, yeah, I should pay attention to what God has taught us on this. So once again, this is a group that even if somebody calls themselves evangelical, it's hard to know what that means theologically, because they're not really saying, okay, I've got to center down on God's truth. All right. I'm imagining right now that there are folks wondering, all right, so I hear the term evangelical in the culture, and I often hear it now used more as like social location or political affiliation than I do as church membership or confessional or creedal identification in terms of this is what I believe and therefore how I live. So I just want to stick a pin in that, George. You and I don't have to discuss that, but I'm noting that there are people right now thinking that um, that evangelical Christian has, in the last few years, become a very political and politicized term. But mm -hmm. I, I'm really drawn to this next um, this conversation about this next category because this is a new way um, of of identifying a subset of Christians in the culture. Talk about theological born again Christians. 
All right, so now we're moving away from what you call yourself into the category of people who can be categorized as born again because of what they believe and to some extent how they live. This is a group of people who get categorized as born again, not because that's what they call themselves, not because that's a term they've inherited from their parents, not because of the kind of church they go to. These are people who say that, you know, when I die, I have the assurance of living forever with God, of, you know, going to heaven, however you want to think about it. Uh, but that's only because I've confessed my sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, what we find is that a large proportion of self-identified Christ, uh, born-again Christians do not believe that. And, and so that's why this category of theological born-agains is so important to me. And what you find is that once you make that kind of a commitment, that you are turning your life over to Christ, you're trusting him with your eternal security, that then pushes you toward taking the scriptures more seriously and trying to apply them more consistently to your life. Now, you know, if we get to talk about integrated disciples and, and compare these two groups, we'll see that they pale in comparison to the integrated disciples in terms of application. But at least in terms of theology, the belief side of things, this is a group that does much better in terms of buying into what the scriptures teach. All right. And then let's get to the category that, you know, I certainly want to be found in. I'd love to describe myself as an integrated disciple. I'm sure there are places where my life is yet to be uh, fully integrated because I know that I'm you know, not yet fully aligned with who God has called me to be in Christ Jesus. There's still work for the Holy Spirit to do. But talk about integrated disciples. What does this cohort of Christians in the culture who actually, they don't just intellectually understand the Bible and a biblical worldview, but they're actually living it out? Yeah, that's one of the beauties of this particular category. And I love studying integrated disciples because they're a model for my life. It's like I can watch these people and understand what it means to be Christ-like. And so when we talk about transforming the culture, it's these kinds of people who have the potential to do that. Now, the sad part is that they represent only 6% of the adult population. Theological born-agains, 28%. Self-identified born-agains, 35%. Self-identified Christians, the, the rather generic category, 69%. So, you know, now we've reached that other, the light end of the continuum, as I described it earlier. So, you know, what's important about these people, that term integrated disciples we created, because what it means is they've taken their beliefs and they've integrated those beliefs into their behaviors. Now, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples to do. And so, you know, when you go back through how Jesus d described a disciple, you know, back in the book of John, I mean, he, he did that, you know, in, in uh, chapter eight, he talked about obey my teachings if you want to be my disciple. And in chapter 13, he said, love each other if you want to be my disciple. Chapter 13, he talked about the behavior end, and he said, produce fruit, if spiritual fruit, if you want to be my disciple. This is a group of people that has taken those admonitions, that, that description of a true follower of Christ seriously. And so when we look at their beliefs, we know that Almost all of them, more than 99%, believe that the Bible is the accurate and reliable words of God. More than 99% of them would describe God as an all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, just creator of the universe who still rules it today. Uh, more than 99% of them would say that, that God has given them a unique calling 
And that's what they're trying to apply God's truths to. They understand that they're on the earth to carry out part of his mission, not their own joy, not seeking their own happiness, but God's mission. And so that's how all these things begin to tie together. They, they, more than 99% of them say every day they intentionally try not to sin because they know that that breaks God's heart. That matters to them. Whereas with most people who are calling themselves Christians of one type or another, it doesn't really come into their equation when they're deciding what to do. So this is a group that really is trying to put it all together. They're not perfect. They don't get all their theology right. They don't get all their behavior right. But man, when you look at the total body of their life, yeah, this is this is who we want leading the parade toward the kingdom of God. So then you um, you talk some about you know sort of where that leads in terms of moral choices, political engagement, um, you know, all kinds of social issues. I thought that was uh, that was helpful. And one of the parts about this, George, that you know stands out to me is that eighty two percent of those integrated disciples, those people who possess and are seeking to live out moment by moment, day by day, a biblical worldview, 82% identify as um, politically or sociologically conservative, 13% uh, moderate, and 5% liberal. Here's here's what I want you to comment on. Help the 82% understand that the 5% of people possessing a biblical worldview who are integrated disciples and who identify as politically liberal, why we still need them as light over there? You know, the way that you influence people is through relationships. And the way that relationships get built are that you feel some kind of a kinship with a person, a connection with them over things you believe, things you do, the ways you live. And so when we look at that particular group, what we know is that they can have influence on people that the rest of us may not even encounter, much less develop a relationship with. And so this is part of being the body of Christ. We're not all going to be the same. Jesus doesn't call us to all be the same. In fact, part of the beauty of humanity are the distinctives that God has built into each of us. And so recognizing that and then going back to that passage in in, uh, John 13, 35, where where Jesus said, you'll be my disciples when you love one another. And, And so no matter who it is that we're encountering, but especially those within our own tribe, a tribe who who may come to things a little bit differently. They may have a slightly different angle on it. They're still my brother or sister in Christ. I Amen. am called to love them the same way that Jesus loves them. And so seeing things through that kind of a lens, that Jesus lens of, of love and transformation, that makes all the difference. All right. You can find George Barna and the things we talked about today at culturalresearchcenter.com, also at arizonachristian.edu. Brother, thank you so much as always. We love having you. Thanks so much, Carmen. Look forward to next time. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. um, Yes, you have found your tribe. Those of you who are saying, hey, in all of those groups of people that George Barna was talking about, you know, I I find my connecting point with the people here on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, I just call it the Carmen Nation. And we are intentionally seeking the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. Pretty much uh, find ourselves in that intentional Christian category. And absolutely people who are... um, desiring to please God, to glorify Him. 
to examine what the Word of God says, to be sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk out into the world that God so loves in every vocation and in every age and stage of life, and to do so as the ambassadors of the King and the kingdom, that we might represent Christ in the world that He so loves um, and honor God, like, right? And we want to do so generation to generation. We want to do so in our conversations. And we want to do so, you know, as winsome apologists, but frankly, without apology. And so uh, you found your people, you found your place. Thank you so much for making it happen right here on Mornings with Carmen. Appreciate your presence and your input, all the engagement about uh, your enthusiasm for Iraqi Christian relief today, all your enthusiasm about craftsmen with character. For those of you who've texted in about those things, yes, we will get back to you with all the info you're asking for. All right, everybody. Um, It's a great day. God is a great God. He is good. Let's go glorify him. Have a wonderful day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.